Welcome to episode 270 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. This is the Objects to Observe in the November 22 Night Sky Edition. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the stars. So here we are in November of 2022. Shane, how is your observing going? <laughs> you know, the back half of this year just seems to be flying by. I, I don't know how it is for you, but... I can't believe we're talking about November already. So that's, uh, that's wild. But, um, as far as my observing goes this last week, there wasn't a lot of good opportunity again in the evening. Um, there's maybe one night that wasn't too bad, but, uh, just, uh, wasn't able to find the time or the weather to allow observing. How about you? Well, yeah, the weather is the, is the big story. Actually, I had planned to observe last evening. And then when I get out to my site, I didn't realize there was this much snow down out here in the back country in Saskatchewan. And there are meter high snow drifts in places. So, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, there's a lot of snow out here. And uh, so that kind of put the kibosh on. I, I had thought that I might set up just uh, do binoculars from the deck or something. But I went out a couple times and it really wasn't that clear. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, the snow continued to melt most of the night and was kind of dripping and running. And so the humidity levels were were very high and there were some thin clouds sort of everywhere. So yeah, it was just uh, just didn't really pan out uh, last mm-hmm. night. So tonight, tonight might be a little bit better, but uh, we're in like one of those um, just very transient time periods where, you know, we've gotten some snow and now it's... Uh, it's still going to 10 degrees above zero each day. So uh, that's uh, melting things up. So any place that's flat enough to set up is uh, a mud pie. And any place that that isn't uh, is covered in, in a bit of a snow drift. So th- there's just like literally nowhere to set up here right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not great. Um, I'm hoping tonight is a little bit better, but... Uh, you know, fingers crossed is about all we can do. I, I will definitely get some solar observing in today. It's quite clear at the moment. So probably when we're done recording, Chris, I'll haul that out and see what it looks like. Excellent. So just as we get started and talking about uh, what people can look at in the uh, November 22 night sky, um, do you have any advice or guidance for people who are maybe looking to get started in, in astronomy, Shane? Maybe uh, people that are just, you know, Maybe they've been listening to all these Astronomy 365 podcasts or just been thinking about it and, you know, they're, they're ready to get up off the, the sofa or whatever they're doing and uh, go out under the night sky when we get into these nice, beautiful, clear autumn and early winter days. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, sometimes I think people, uh, like when they think of astronomy, they think they need telescopes and, you know, expensive gear, but really all you need is your eyes for the most part. Uh, there's a lot to see just naked eye, uh, but you do have to know where to look and what to look for. Um, so things that we've often recommended Chris is, uh, like skymaps.com or Nightwatch. Um, so sky maps is online. Nightwatch is a book, uh, by Terrence Dickinson and, uh, both do a great job to cover kind of that basic stuff about the night sky. Like it helps you identify constellations, uh, some of the brighter stars, and then some of the brighter objects that are up there to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are high recommends. Um, now the other thing, if you're going to do astronomy, particularly if you're getting away from light pollution, 
Uh, make sure you have a red flashlight um, that helps preserve your night vision a bit better. Um, and then we always recommend binoculars, you know, um, they're, they're a little more accessible and, and typically more affordable, uh, than a telescope. Uh, you can use binoculars for multiple purposes, you know, sightseeing during the day, bird watching, yeah. uh, but at night point them up at the stars and, uh, you can see a lot more, uh, your eyes under a real dark sky. will see about 2000 stars. Binoculars take that up to 10,000 real quick. So it just gives you a, a little bit of context about how, how much uh, of an enhancement even binoculars can give you, uh, at nighttime. Yeah. And you know, the one thing I'm teaching a couple of courses in astronomy, just, just as public outreach this, uh, this autumn. And the one thing that I notice, uh, that happens frequently in the class is that probably about a third of the people show up having owned uh, a telescope before, um, but they aren't using it as much as, as they maybe would have thought or, or would have hoped or, or want to. And, uh, you know, even though they already own a telescope, I think that the recommendation of uh, getting night watch and, and uh, making a little red flashlight and making a red flashlight is easy, just get a cheap little flashlight and get some red duct tape or red electrical tape and slap it over the front or red nail polish will even work. doesn't have to be too fancy. And then, uh, you know, those binoculars, like a good pair of eight by forties or seven by 35s, uh, you got a pair around, dig them out because those binoculars and a basic chart are going to help you to learn how to navigate the stars, which are crucial skills to have for, for anybody who either owns or, or wants to own a telescope. And, uh, and kind of once I, I start getting people down that path of how to actually identifying these things in the night sky and, and how to navigate the night sky properly uh, without any, anything too fancy or complicated to set up first, then uh, the, the telescope work comes a little bit, uh, a little bit easier, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's sort of our, our bit of an introduction. We always like to do that for uh, those listeners on Astronomy uh, 365 or 365 Days of Astronomy. And uh, and yeah, we hope that uh, people will start getting out and taking a look at the night sky if they haven't already. Um, so the other thing that we're going to talk about really briefly before we get too far into the objects to observe is uh, we just want to remind people that uh, Mars will be at opposition on December 8th. And although we're going to talk about what to look at in the November night sky, uh, typically the month uh, or so leading up to opposition and, and about the uh, month or so or, or six weeks after opposition of Mars is the best time to take a look. So mm -hmm. we'd be kind of remiss to, to ignore the next uh, four weeks of time, which are uh, prime Mars observing. Uh, uh, do you agree, Shane, or disagree? <laughs> oh no, there's, I don't think there's an argument to be had here, Chris. Uh, this definitely is the time to start observing Mars. If you haven't already, um, it, it will continue to grow in size or apparent size every day as it just edges closer and closer to earth. Um, and you know, Mars can be a, a challenging object to observe, but there's certainly detail that we can see, uh, from earth-based amateur telescopes. Uh, you can see some of the polar caps, um, some of the surface, uh, some of the surface details, but what you're really seeing is just like the color contrast, uh, of mm -hmm. different features. Um, sometimes you can see cloud 
uh, on on Mars as well, up in the atmosphere. Sometimes there's dust storms. Uh, there's a yeah. lot of different things to observe there, uh, but you definitely need a telescope for this. Uh, this That's would, right. you know, Mars is out of the range of binoculars. Yeah. Yeah. You just see maybe a circle or a disc or something like that. But, uh, but through a small telescope, even like a good little 70 millimeter acromat, and there's lots of those around. I see lots of people buying those these days. I uh, should be able to pick up those uh, polar caps or polar hoods right now, which is the uh, cloud systems that that form over the poles. Um, should be able to pick up some dark features like the Sirtis Major, um, you know, in deserts like Amazonas, um, you know, th those should be clearly visible to, to see clouds in that. Probably need a four or five inch uh, telescope that that's pretty good or an eight inch uh, reflector that's that's uh, pretty good. And yeah, that should, that should get people going. But if people haven't uh, taken their telescope out in a while, now would be the time and, and get it all tuned up and start trying to take a look at Mars as it sits up in Taurus uh, in the middle of the night right now. Okay. Ready to start on what people can see uh, this month. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Excellent. So November 1st, we have a first quarter moon and Saturn will be four degrees north of the moon. So how far on, on November 1st, so we got we got the first quarter moon, and then Saturn is about four degrees. Actually, for us, it's about five degrees. But how big is four or five degrees on, on the night sky, Shane? Well, it, it's fairly large. Um, so a couple things for reference. Number one is a full moon is about a half a degree. So, you know, four degrees, multiply that by two. So we're talking about eight full moon diameters apart. Um, so that's quite large, but, um, another reference is, uh, and we talk about this one all of the time. If you hold your arm out, uh, you know, extend it, uh, in front of you, make a fist, the width of your fist is 10 degrees. So about yeah. half of a fist width, <laughs> uh, is how close Saturn will be to the moon on November 1st. Yeah. And that's, that's a good way to put it. So if you hold your fist out or hold your fist out at arm's length, like stretch your arm out as far as you can and make a fist that size of your fist against the night sky or against anything at, at arm's length, that's uh, what we call 10 degrees. If you go from um, the horizon to overhead, that's 90 degrees. You're going to make a 90 degree angle. And so that's going to be nine fifths. So this uh, moon and, uh, and Saturn separation is about half of that fist. And the neat part of that is that most binoculars are about six or seven degrees. Hey, so it's going to fit when we're talking about these sort of distances, you're going to be able to see uh, the moon and Saturn in that same field of view at the same time. Hey, Yeah. Yeah. It'll be kind of neat. Um, with binoculars, uh, Saturn, like the, the ring detail won't be quite apparent, but it'll certainly look like a, a kind of an ovalish object. Uh, you'll certainly be able to tell that it's not a round disc. Yeah. Now, one of the things that many of, many of the, uh, actual astronomy li listeners will uh, be able to do is uh, lots of them have these small, like um, 50 through, you know, three inch or, or 90 millimeter telescopes, which can get um, five, maybe even six degree field of views. So I know like uh, like an 80 millimeter F5 with a really wide angle eyepiece will get six degrees. And so you'd be able to see uh, just barely the little, rings around Saturn and the craters of the moon at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It'd be super cool. All right. November 3rd, finally 
a shadow transit that uh, we'll be able to see here. Now here in Saskatchewan, we'll just catch the tail end of it. But those east of us, so those in the eastern uh, time zones uh, and east of there, will be able to see a double uh, shadow transit in the evening. Yeah, and the, and this is on Jupiter. And uh, w- what we're talking about with a shadow transit is there's the four major Galilean moons, which are visible um, quite quite easily even in binoculars. Um, at times, these these Galilean moons will cast a shadow onto the surface or the disk of Jupiter. And if you have uh, even a modest amateur telescope, you'll be able to see these little black dots of the shadows being cast. And they're fun to observe. Like you can watch them as they transit across the surface or across that disk of Jupiter. And uh, depending where they are in the cloud bands, because there's different colors of those bands, if the shadow is being cast on the lighter colors, it really jumps out at you. Um, If it's being cast on the uh, darker equatorial bands, sometimes you have to search for them a little bit uh, with a little bit more uh, intensity, but they're certainly there and they are fun to observe. Yeah, so on that night, on November 3rd, we have uh, two of them come across in the early evening. If you start observing um, just after sunset and, and can get Jupiter as it's nice and high, you'll be able to see those two moons uh, going across. Also, on November 3rd, if you have to be listening from Antarctica, you should write <laughs> us anyway. But if you're if you're in Antarctica, you can see the asteroid Juno occulted by the moon. Well, that would be neat. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Do you have, but do you have any family or friends down there, Chris? I, I don't. <laughs> I don't, actually. I think many of my family and friends wish that I would go to Antarctica. Um, but uh, for the rest of us, Juno is going to be within about uh, one degree of the moon. So um, makes a good opportunity to hunt down Juno because I think it's fairly bright. I think it's going to be around, uh, well, I'm not going to say how bright, but it'd be within range of a good pair of binoculars And uh, Juno was the third asteroid discovered. Uh, It was found in 1804 by the German astronomer Carl Harding. And uh, it's one of the largest asteroid chain. It contains about 1% of the total mass of the entire asteroid belt. Hmm. That is like 1% sounds like a small number, but when you consider the size of uh, the asteroid belt and and how many objects there are there, that's, that's pretty substantial. Yeah. Kind of looks like a, a really big rock. Kind of looks like a, you know, if you if you found that pebble on the beach, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't think twice about it. But it's uh, yeah, that that's a whole world unto itself. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, do you have anything to add to that? Nope. Good stuff. November fourth, the moon is going to be two degrees. Or sorry, Jupiter is going to be two degrees north of the moon. So while on the uh, first. Um, the first, the uh, first quarter moon uh, and Saturn are going to be four degrees apart. Jupiter and the moon are going to be about half that distance uh, on November 4th. So the same thing applies uh, in this instance, though, um, many more telescopes will be able to uh, take in both the moon and Jupiter at the same time because a two degree field of view is something that uh, typically most uh, eight, even some 10 inch telescopes will be able to uh uh, to take in. And so you'd be able to use some reasonable power in order to see like our moon plus the four moons of Jupiter and the disk of Jupiter and uh, like maybe the great red spot and the cloud bands and that sort of thing uh, on the evening of November 4th. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, these, uh, these close pairings of solar system objects They're It's neat to see them that close. And um, 
you know, if you have a, a telescope uh, that can um, provide a wide enough field to get both objects in the field of view, it's, it's usually quite stunning. Yeah, I think again, like the Eastern uh, Standard Time Zone is is preferred. But for us, I think it's like three degrees. So even for here, if you're much further west, of course, uh, it's not going to be as good a show. But I think uh, for folks along like the Eastern Seaboard in the U.S., I think they're going to get a fairly good view of seeing uh, the Moon and Jupiter uh, right close together um, in the evening sky just after sunset. Yeah, yeah, great opportunity. Yeah, so that's a convenient time too, and. Uh, you know, you can uh, have an early supper and then have your telescope set up and go out and uh, enjoy the view after that. November 5th, we have the South Torrid Meteors Peak, but uh, I really think that's too close to full moon. You know, the South Torrids, they peak around midnight or so, and uh, the full moon is only a few nights away. So I don't think people are going to really have a good chance to see those uh, those meteors this month, eh? Yeah. You need three ingredients for a good meteor shower. You need um, You need dark skies. Um, you know, you want to get away from light pollution, you need clear skies. And then lastly, you don't want a moon in the sky. Uh, so you want it to be closer to new moon. Um, and, and I remember early on in my amateur astronomy observing career, if you would call it that, mm. um, I, I've journeyed out of the city, uh, probably about 45 minutes to an hour to get to a dark site. Um, but there was about three quarters of a moon in the sky. And I, when I got to this dark site, which was quite dark under a new moon, I was shocked to see that it basically looked, the sky looked exactly like it did from the city because of yeah. how much light pollution the moon sort of puts yeah. out there. And uh, so anyway, you know, meteors are not the brightest things in the sky. So when, when there is a moon out there, it often washes out some of that detail. Yeah, I've uh, been in the same situation where on, on a couple occasions, especially when I was just starting out, I, I try to go out and take in a meteor shower and uh, yeah, with like a half or a three quarter moon in the sky, uh, it was just way, way, way too bright. Um, but speaking of the full moon, uh, which is coming along on November 8th, uh, the full moon is going to give us a great treat. We're going to have a lunar eclipse that night, uh, much of which will be visible. We we pretty much, we're right on the line. I put the uh, the graphic in there from uh, timeanddate.com. And uh, you can see, Shane, I think that line runs uh, just east of us. So mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. think that that means the, uh, the moon will be going into eclipse uh, just at uh, moonrise. So as the moon rises, I think we had a similar one there back in uh, May. And uh, we'll be able to see that moonrise uh, in eclipse. And uh, also on that night, for those west of us, we don't quite see this. Um, but this is going to be a really, really great opportunity to actually hunt down Uranus. But for those west of us, if you're in like Alberta or on the west coast of, of North America, um, you're actually going to be able to see the moon pass in front of Uranus. So the planet Uranus is going to experience what we call an occultation, which means the moon is passing in front of it. And uh, that would be a neat sight. So you're going to be able to see the full moon in eclipse occulting Uranus. Yeah, yeah, super cool. Uranus doesn't really reveal much detail for amateur telescopes. I'm sure, you know, if you had an extremely large telescope, it, you probably would, you might be able to see some, some detail, but typically the only thing to report there is seeing color. Um, but a great opportunity to, to see Uranus and find it quite easily. And then occultations are always, uh, I don't know. I find them cool. I like observing them. 
Yeah. Um, and maybe just a quick side note too, uh, for anybody listening that is maybe feverishly trying to write any of this down, <laughs> we will post all of this information to our website, actualastronomy.com. So you can go there and check out these show notes um, so that you don't uh, miss out on any of these opportunities to observe a, a lot of cool things in November. Oh yeah, that's that's a great point. It's just a basic website and uh, yeah, we just put our uh, podcast out there and some show notes. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say we do it. Shane does that. So thank you for that, Shane. Oh, well, I'm fine with the we on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and I also got to say, I do like your, uh, when you were talking about the ingredients for observing uh, a meteor shower. So that, that would make you like a chef of the night sky. Yeah. Yeah. I got a lot more recipes to talk about, Chris. Excellent. All my observations are half-baked. <laughs> All right. So November 9th, Uranus is at opposition. So, um, you won't really see it that much brighter. I, I think it's around magnitude 5.6, 5.7, which means it would just be barely visible to the unaided eye from pretty dark sight. And, uh, and, and I think, though, just hunting it down is something that is worthwhile. So I think that's what makes the, uh, the experience of being able to hunt it down during that lunar eclipse on the 8th, basically the night before, within 24 hours of opposition, is uh, is a really great opportunity. So I, I think it was um, last month I was trying to hunt down Uranus when the moon was close to it, but the moon was too bright. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it washed out the night sky. You, you know, you just really couldn't figure it out very easily. I didn't like spend that much time trying to do it. But, um, but this time during the lunar eclipse, uh, it's, it's going to, uh, the moon is going to be much dimmer. You'll still be able to see the moon. Um, but I think you should be able through, uh, good binoculars, uh, telescope from a dark site, uh, be able to hunt down Uranus, uh, nearby. So a little bit of history on Uranus, Shane, since it's, uh, going to be in opposition here on November 9th, uh, was observed many times before being recognized as a planet, uh, but it was always mistaken as a star. So among the first observations were perhaps by Hipparchus, who perhaps cataloged it in 128 BC. Uh, and then uh, he may have uh, just noted that down in his star catalog, which was carried over in, into Ptolemy's Almagest. Uh, John Flamsteed also saw and cataloged it in 1690 next to the star 34 Tauri. And French astronomer Pierre-Charles Lemonnier observed Uranus at least 12 times on many consecutive nights um, over the course of about 20 years from about 1750 to 1770. Um, but finally, it was William Herschel who bagged the discovery when he observed Uranus on the 13th of March in 1781 uh, from his uh, garden by his house in uh, southern England. Well, oh, interesting. Yeah, although he wanted to call it George's star. <laughs> after after the king at the time but for some strange reason that that never caught on and it was later named after the greek god of the sky who is uranus and unfortunately this resulted in the many centuries of poor jokes and puns in the less mature amateur astronomers out there all right november 11th mars is going to be two degrees south of the moon again great opportunity to take a look at the red planet right beside the moon. So there's your chance to actually, uh, if you've never identified Mars on the night sky before, then this is a great chance. It's going to be in the morning, at least for us here in, uh, in the middle of North America. 
um, you'll want to get up fairly early, but around uh, 6, 6.30, that's when we're going to see them uh, reasonably well paired. I think for us here, Shane, it's it's a few degrees away. Um, again, for those of us uh, that are further uh, west, you're going to see that moon uh, get closer and closer to Mars until it's only separated by about uh, four lunar diameters. Yeah, yeah, very neat opportunity there as well. And what I like about this one, um, you know, folks that listen to our podcast probably are aware that I really enjoy looking at double stars. And one of the things I like about double stars is when there is a color contrast, like a red star and a blue star, um, because when they're really close to each other, that color pops even more. And while, like, if you look at Mars tonight, it, it should be obvious that it has kind of an orangey tone to it. But I mm -hmm. find when it's closer to the moon, like it will be on November the 11th, uh, I feel like that oranginess is just a little more pronounced because you have like this mm. real contrast of the moon so close. So um, if you've never really noticed that orange hue of Mars, definitely check it out that night because I, again, for me, I find it to, to the color to be more apparent. Good stuff. Yeah, that's a really good suggestion just because there's uh, something to really uh, contrast and compare it to. Mm -hmm. Very cool. November 14th, the star Pollux is going to be 1.7 degrees north of the moon. This is not really that significant, but I do have jury duty that day. So I'll be uh, <laughs> dragging myself not to work on uh, Monday, but heading off to the court of the King's bench to present myself. So hmm. that'll be lucky. That, you. That'll be my stellar appearance <laughs> for the year. All right. November 16th, we have the uh, last quarter moon which uh, will be a great time because the moon will be getting out of the sky just in time for the November 18th. Yes, the 18th, the Leonid meteor shower peaks at zero hours UTC on the 18th this year. So typically uh, we would say like the 17th, but really um, what we're looking at here is, uh, is meteors coming out of the constellation of, uh, of Leo the lion. And uh, that would give you uh, a good chance to see it, although with almost a, for a last quarter moon in the sky, Shane, that might impact the view a little bit, uh, especially uh, as that moon, I think, is going to rise at about the same time that the meteors uh, will be starting to to peak there in the uh, early morning hours of uh, the 18th day. Yeah, I find if there's anything uh, like quarter moon or more, that that's usually enough light to, to wash out the night sky and, and to make yeah. some of the, some of this type of observing less enjoyable. Yeah. So it's right on the edge, but if yep. you had a yep. good night, you were out somewhere dark, you know, take a shot. Maybe you'll see some mm -hmm. meteors. Mm -hmm. We've got a new moon on November 23rd. So that'll be a good opportunity around that date. Uh, you know, from about the 16th, the evening of the 16th and afterwards, that's when you can start going out and have a nice dark moonless sky to look into and uh any any objects on your horizon shane that you're interested to take a look as we get into the uh, winter season so definitely mars as you mentioned at the start of the podcast um but there's a, a comet that we've talked briefly about that people should start to consider observing um it is a c slash 2022 e3 
uh, Z or Z uh, TF. Um, so in November and December, um, it's looking like it'll be around magnitude nine, which is not very bright. You definitely will need uh, optical aid to see this. And I'm not sure if you would see much detail. I haven't really been paying attention to any reports, but the reason why I'm mentioning this now is that by the end of December and going into January, uh, this comet uh, might be around magnitude five, uh, which is very bright. And that, be, that means a naked eye comet. Um, and then going into February, uh, it has an even brighter uh, at magnitude four. So what is cool about comets like this that become that bright uh, is sometimes just watching the evolution of that comet. Um, so if that interests you, start observing it now and then, uh, you know, periodically have uh, uh, views of it from now until it gets to its brightest point, And you'll probably see some, some real interesting transformation happening. So uh, you may want to put that on your radar. Cool. Well, that's a, that's a great idea. Maybe we can put a link in our in our show notes there. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, cool. Anything else that uh, might catch uh, someone's fancy if they were getting to a dark site towards the end of the month? Oh, wow. Um, well, you know, the, the winter constellations, uh, what, what I like to do sometimes this time of the year is if I'm, I'm caught up on my sleep and I have lots of energy, um, it, it's kind of interesting to stay up late or wake up early, you know, as you like to do, Chris, yeah. <laughs> sometimes when you observe, but you know, at least here where we live, it can get pretty cold in December, January. Um, so if you want to observe those, uh, constellations, but not have to deal with real cold temperatures, start mm -hmm. doing that now, uh, in November, you know, wake up again early or stay up late and like Orion and, uh, Monoceros and, and, you know, the, a lot of these, all of the winter constellations will be visible in the wee hours in the morning. Um, and, uh, again, for us, it's not nearly as cold now, so it's a great opportunity to see that stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. And uh, so one more planet moon pairing will be sort of a, a redo of the Saturn being four degrees north of the moon on November 29th. And then on November 30th, we have the first quarter moon. So we're back into that, uh, that part of the months where we have the moon in the sky. So you want to get your observing done between uh, November 16th and November 30th, if you're looking for dark sky stuff, but the rest of the month you have uh, lots of planets to take a look at. And like we're recommending, people should try to dust off those old telescopes and get them out, get them pointed at Mars, which is way up in Taurus, uh, which will be nice and high in the, uh, in the middle of the night uh, here in November. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be great. Okay. Shane, well, anything else uh, to add to our objects to observe in the November 22 night sky? No, just one more reminder, all of these show notes will be available at www.actualastronomy.com. Um, and uh, it'll be a good reference for you to check off some of these observations. Excellent. Well, thanks, Shane. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Be sure to subscribe in your podcatching software. You can always reach us at actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.